What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, recording this on Thursday night, the night after the Grizzlies extended their winning streak to eight games after the Grizzlies beat the absolutely feisty San Antonio Spurs, after John Morant obliterated Jakob Hurdle once again. And it's good vibes all over here, uh, all over here in the 901, undefeated in 2023. And we're at the halfway point of the season. We're going to talk about some takes that we've developed over the course of the half point of the season. And before I introduce my guests, let me tell you how you can keep in touch with the blog and with the podcast network. So Grizzly Bear Blues is the SB Nation blog covering the Memphis Grizzlies. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. And GBB Live is the flagship podcast for the Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network. Alongside the starting five podcasts, the core four podcasts, the next gen podcast, and Grizzly Bear Bet. So, however, you tune in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network will be there. And once again, I'm your host, Parker Fleming. And with me is a Patreon writer covering the Grizzlies, among other things. And he's a former GBBer as well. You may know him on Twitter as the real Herlicka. It's Matt Herlicka. Matt, how's it going, man? Uh, we need like an official, first of all, it's going great. Uh, we're on an eight game winning streak and we need an official jaw, like obliteration meter, because I really feel like last night, Jakob Pertl kind of felt it coming and he did the thing, like, I'm going to contest, but I'm also going to jump backwards. So I don't get posterized again. Like he got, he got posterized, but he was also kind of like jumping out of the frame. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, no, I I definitely like, saw that like within the pictures and then like within the actual like moment, I'm like it happened again, but it doesn't beat that first one. I know uh, Drew Hill and Daily Miffian had asked Jaw and Jaren which one was better, and Jaw was kind of back and forth because he was like on one hand this was in clutch time, but the, in the other hand, the other one was a career night. But Jaren really didn't hesitate. He was like that first one was disgusting, and let's be real. The- <laughs> The first one is probably, I would say it's the best dunk of his career, aside from the Malik Beasley one. And the Malik Beasley one is only because it was in the playoffs. And it was basically like a replica of that dunk that he missed over Kevin Love. And it's just like he actually completed yeah. it. And I think it's because he was a 6'4 guard, but who cares? It was still awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that 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 Malik Beasley one, that game, not to get too far sidetracked. But that game, I was actually in Dallas uh, for for work, and I was catching up with a with a buddy of mine I hadn't I hadn't seen in like a decade. So we went to dinner, and I I, I turned my phone like off completely. Uh, so I watched the game back, and I had mistaken I had gotten like a bunch of texts like Oh my God, did you see what happened to Malik Beasley? Like how could you do that? Like all these texts, and I'm like I have no idea what's happening. The Grizzlies, by the way, are losing by like 25 or so because that was the big comeback night, mm-hmm. I think. And anyway, when I saw it, I was just like, <laughs> I can't believe what just happened. Because it truly, that one and, and the Jakob Pertl, I mean, you know, we should never say he can't do better than that. But those are 10 They're on the obliteration meter. The, the one last night might have been like, a, I don't know, like a, like a five and a half or a six on the job scale mm-hmm. obliteration. I don't know. It was still impressive. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I definitely agree on that. And I guess maybe also the, just 
the exhilaration and the magnitude of that game five. I mean, that was one of the best playoff yeah. games I've ever been to. And I and I used to go to all the uh, grit and grind ones. Actually, the only one I missed that probably would have been the best is that game six that Zebo just put them away. But you know mm-hmm. what? I'm getting way too sidetracked here. But, uh, you know, we're at the halfway point in the season. The Memphis Grizzlies are currently 28 and 13, tied with the Denver Nuggets for the best record in the Western Conference, tied with them for the second best record in the NBA. And this is with Desmond Bain missing 20 games, Jaron Jackson Jr. missing 16 games, and a lot of those didn't overlap with each other. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of games where you just haven't had your big three yet. If you want to be generous to Dylan Brooks or if you're Funaki stats and love Steven Adams, then it's a core four. But <laughs> they haven't had a lot of time together. But definitely these results are very encouraging, especially as this team is getting healthy. A lot of different players are finding their grooves at this moment. Uh, before we kind of really get into like, like generalized takes, Matt, like what's your just general thoughts on this first half of the season for the Memphis Grizzlies? Considering, you know, the injuries, the uh, early mm-hmm. reliance on rookies and other inexperienced players just what what are your general thoughts on this run so far I I kind of came into the season like by the end of preseason I thought they were going to be really good again I had kind of put to bed the idea of well first we got the piece of like Jaron's not probably not going to miss as much time as we thought um you know early on like you know during free agency and everything um and I kind of talked myself into, listen, like the team's still going to be pretty deep. They've got three legitimate stars now. That, that was kind of my focus was like, these guys are going to keep getting better. They're still young and they're still ascending. So we're going from having like one superstar and two pretty good players, really good players to like legitimately three possible all-stars. Um, on the team, you know, Jaron probably wasn't even going to get there, but you know, in, in the next few years, those guys are going to be talked about as all-stars and, and having that much talent, like you're just good. It almost doesn't matter what the other guys are. Now, if you had told me like crystal ball wise, Oh, and by the way, these guys are going to miss, you know, Bain's going to miss some time. You know, other guys are going to miss time. You're going to be playing rookies a lot. I wouldn't have been as bullish, but I still would have been like, they're, they're, pre- they're going to be pretty good. Um, and generally speaking, like, you know, the the team has to like ratchet down the exuberance of this rock. Like I just thought that these guys would be pushing to win. You know, that's not the case in Golden State or mm, like even in Dallas and LA, like those are veteran teams. They don't they don't get up for these regular season games like the Grizzlies do. They just don't bring it as much because especially the Golden State Warriors have some like they're going to be, they're thinking they're going to be playing till June. So, but the Grizzlies don't feel that way. They're like, we're going to kill everybody every night. <laughs> and like, you know, some of these games, it's kind of easy to pick up wins against the team. That's just like, all you have to do is punch them in the mouth. And they just kind of like, not that they give up, but they just don't want to match the energy. Um, so my, my first half take is like, the season has kind of gone the way I thought it would with some pleasant, with some pleasant surprises sprinkled in too, you know? So what, what about you? Well, I want to, before we like, jump, uh, before I give my take, I do want to ask you just, because from one, like yeah. from the start, I thought they were always going to be pretty good. 
I thought they're going to be at least top four in the West. You know, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. you're going to have the Clippers getting healthy. Theoretically, Minnesota got better, but that's kind of been a dumpster fire so far, or at least just a roller coaster mm-hmm. per se. I knew those two teams were going to get better. I didn't think Minnesota would be better than Memphis, though. Um, the Los Angeles Clippers, I thought, okay, if they can have two of the three of Kawhi, Paul George, and John Wall on the floor, surely they'll be good, especially the supporting cast around them, but that's been inconsistent. thought Denver was going to be good, and it's just I, – I, I thought, like, okay, they're, they're not going to regress on the floor, but in, they mm-hmm. might be a decrease in wins because of how much better the West has gotten. But the West – as Josh said, they're fine in the West. So, like, I've kind of looked <laughs> at it that way. But also, too, like, I've just, you know, I've looked at this track record through through this team since they've been here. And they've kind of just churned in rotation guys in and out. There's always mm-hmm. been pleasant surprises. And I'd even mention in the injury thing that, uh, you know, Zaire Williams, who was really kind of counted on to almost be the sixth man, he'd missed, like, the first two months of the season. I say first two months because when he came back, he was incredibly rusty and he was kind of a non-factor offensively. Yeah. So for sure. Kind of all things considered, like that's kind of how I feel on the season. I always thought they're gonna be pretty good, but if you told me, especially with the injuries to Bain and Jackson, that they would jump out this well, I'd be kind of surprised. Mm-hmm. A little bit, a little bit taken back, not fully. But I want to ask you just what are some of the things that have surprised you because you said some surprises kind of yeah. sprinkled in with you so I wanted to hear what you had to say well you know like I say surprise I I was really high on uh Santi coming into the year I'm surprised that he's this good because like when I was high on him I was like thinking oh he's gonna go from being like a non a basketball non-entity in the NBA that like you know had a couple moments to uh, you know, like a rotation player, like, you know, like a ninth man or something like that. And he's legitimately like, he'll just, he just plays his game every night, no matter who is really, you know, guarding him. He's just, he has so many counters. He's tall. He just gets to his spots. He can't really bother his shot. And like, he's not going to like, blow you away usage wise but he's just going to play this complimentary role that fits in really well with everybody and I didn't think like before the year I would be thinking hey they they should try to get Santi some uh minutes at like three in like big big lineups like big big lineups and I'm thinking that like I've been thinking that for the past couple weeks like man I'd really like to see Santi like a Santi uh Brandon Jaron front court you know, and I just, I just didn't have that on the table. And then, and then David Roddy too, just being, I, I come in with rookies and kind of have like no take outside of the scouting that people do. But after a couple games, I was like, yeah, he's, he looks pretty good. <laughs> like He was getting, he was a little slow on defense, but they're clearly like putting him in that position to grow. And they just like kind of threw him in the deep end. And I was like, if they're doing that, you know, and he doesn't look lost on offense, um, you know, then I'm, I, I I think he's going to be pretty good. Um, And I was just like, we, I think it was me and you, it might've been somebody else I was talking to on a pod uh, in the summer. And I, we had kind of gone back and forth about like the summer being a Grizzlies 
front office hot, uh, heat check. You know, you draft Jake Lar- you, you trade up to draft Jake Laravia. You extend John Conchar, who was like a bit player last year. And then on top of that, you draft David Roddy in the first round when a lot of the, you know, draft mix didn't even have him as being drafted. And like everything's kind of worked out. And I'm, I, I guess my pleasant surprise, like overall, is like they haven't really made a misstep. Like every move that they have bet on has paid. And uh, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty wild <laughs> to be honest with you, you know? So, oh, yeah. I mean, that, that, yeah. It's like every, what is the, what is the pleasant surprise? It's that everything has worked. <laughs> yeah. Cause, you know, and I think a lot of it too is just off-season boredom where people just, you know, they talk just to talk. You know, I I, I try to, like, stay out of it as much in the summer just because, like, okay, I'm about to go into my first full season as site manager. Let me actually decompress in August and September. Yeah. But uh, KD and Donovan Mitchell trade rumors told me otherwise. But, yeah, yeah it was one of those things, like, you said this, like, earlier, but, you know, they have Jaw, they have Bane, they have Jaron, three all-star caliber players. The season's good. It's not going to ride on the ninth and tenth guys. It's going to ride on those three. And yeah, um, I, I I will say I was I've been pretty pleasantly surprised by the rookies. It, I mean, for me, it's just one of those things. Like, okay, they've churned out at least one rotation player up from a rookie a, a season. That's happened one, at least once a season, and. I, I personally thought it was going to be Jake LaRavia, but I think yeah. with them two, with him and Roddy, they were so close. Like, in terms, I didn't think any of them generated separation from each other before Jake's injury mm-hmm. with their play. I would have given a slight edge to Jake because he was shooting the ball well. The problem was he just doesn't mm-hmm. shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that Roddy finding his groove while Jake was out has kind of, you know, now sent Jake over to mainly do hustle minutes. And also, too, like, he he got hurt, and he comes back, and Zaire Williams is back ready to play, and then Desmond Bain's right, coming back. Right. So, like, you're not you're not going to play over those guys either. But, yeah, yeah. no. And also, too, um, another thing with those – I know I'm, like, circling back to, like, everything you just said, like, almost, like, rewinding it. But you brought up a lineup that's interesting to me because – uh when the Grizzlies on draft night drafted LaRavia, Kleiman was talking about the idea of running LaRavia, Clark, and Jaron lineups. And I really do think, like yeah. you said, they need to try it with Santi because he's shooting like 36% on three and a half attempts per game. And he has a quick clip as well. Like, give it a shot. Yeah. I mean, I think the defensive upside with it is also pretty nice too. And if you can have like, they can get really funky with it and have like, Tyus, I was going to say Tyus, Zaire, Santi, Clark, and Jaron, but that's not enough offensive creation. But if they had like Tyus, Bain, Santi, Jaron, and Brandon Clark, I'm pretty intrigued. Yeah, I mean, I, I so it, it's just something you want, I want to see because Santi gets caught like in switches a lot and he's acquitted himself well, you know? So if he's switching out onto small forwards and guards, why not start him there? and see what happens, you know, especially, especially if you can get two other bigs on the floor and get some rim protection behind, you know, you getting that much, that many, like, I even think they should be experimenting with just like same point guard lineups 
Bane, Zaire, Santi, Clark, and Jaron. Just see what happens because you know you're gonna be running your offense through Bane in the in the postseason anyway, um, a lot. Uh, and then and the other thing that's a little bit of a concern is like the Tyus job lineups haven't been great. So I, I'm wondering if like one of the things in the postseason that might rear its head is like. And I'm sure I'm not, I'm not saying this because I'm like an anti-Tyus thing at all, but the tie, how much of a role is he going to have if Jaw's playing the 40 minutes and we have a whole season of data where the Jaw Tyus, I mean, the last time I checked, the Jaw Tyus minutes are not great. Um, and there's, and that's like kind of gels with my thinking about the team, which is like, that makes you super small, especially if you're playing Bain or Dylan at the three. And then it's probably a bench lineup, so you probably don't have Stephen Adams in there, and you're just a small team in general. Um, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, I, we 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 have been kind of talking all over the place, but um, you know, just to get back to the good stuff, yeah. I mean, I and I don't want to. I don't want my Roddy take to be like anti Jake. I just think I think that Zaire and then also Aldama, you know, being good kind of supplanted. You, there's just no more minutes, you know, there's just no minutes to be had there because you've got like all these good players. Um, so Jake sent down, I mean, you, you know, what's going to happen is next year he's just going to be, he's going to come into a second year and he's just going to be good. Like that's just what's going to happen because the Grizzlies drafted him and that's what happened to every second year Grizzlies player. It seems like. Yeah. Here's what's going to happen. You know, like in 2020, 2021, everyone was like, like Bradley Beal was the hot trade target. And now it's like, oh, wait, they have Desmond Bain, who's like almost a decade younger and shooting the three ball better and is yeah. actually bigger and not a defensive liability. You know, now it's like everyone wants to go get Boyan Bogdanovich. And then next year we're going to be like, oh, wait, we have Jake LaRavia, who's younger, similar size, not as much of a defensive liability as Bogdanovich. Let's just keep him instead of going to trade Bogdanovich. Yeah. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, that was be- my. That was my. Uh, I was trying to get Denny Abdia on the team for forever, and I was, and then at this, like three games in, I was like, "Well, we have Santi now, and he's better." So <laughs> exactly, we we'll just we'll a, just keep a, doing a, that. A huge, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, um, I will say for for my take, um, I I think uh, Dylan has made or Dylan has made the Grizzlies offseason plans quite fascinating. Because I think he's had a really good season. Um, I've, I mean, he's always been the team's leader in on-off differential for like the past three seasons. I think the only time he wasn't was Killian Tilly in his rookie season, where he played like less than a hundred or like less than two hundred minutes. Cleaning the glass qualified that as leading, but I mean, and then even this year, he's the leader in on-off. Here's the thing: everybody be like, "Oh, like lineup data. He's going to play with better players." Yada yada yada, whatever. But he leads the next highest person by almost three points per 100 possessions. And I'm looking at the lineup data right now. Dylan on the floor without Jaron and Ja, it has a plus 9.7 net rating in 475 mm. possessions. So it's not just like a product of the lineups. Like he's playing good basketball. I know he's like in a little shooting song, but I actually, it's quite astonishing that this is like one of the worst shooting seasons of his career, given his, uh, shot selection and such like that. But the defense has mm-hmm. just been so good. Like he's yeah. like legitimately catching eyes where, you know, you're now having ESPN guys like Tim McMahon 
or Tim Bomb Temps being like, oh, Dylan Brooks is locking down Zion and Pascal Siakam and then going to guard Shea Jojis Alexander. And then he's guarding De'Aaron Fox. Like, and then, I mean, the other night he yeah. guarded Lori Zion. Yeah, the Zion stuff. The Zion stuff, I didn't get to watch like the entirety of the new uh, the New Year's Eve game, but I was watching a lot of clips. And I also watched – I was also at the game, the Black Friday game, I believe, where mm-hmm. I think Zion had, like, the worst uh, plus-minus of anybody on the floor of, like, minus 32. <laughs> and they just made life hell for him. And I, and I think now people are kind of taking notice of Dylan on the defensive end and the floor. And I think he's getting – he's still not a good advanced stats guy at all when it comes to – I mean, really, I mean, obviously yeah. his offense won't, but his defense still not. But he is 16th and defensive Raptor from when I last checked earlier this week. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's also one of those things, too. And this isn't to like kind of, I, this isn't to bag on anyone, but no one's, there's been no showing or signs or anything of an actual Dylan replacement that could step into the opening night starting lineup next season if he yeah. walks. And I think yeah. that's not much of a testament to that's not much of a testament to the guys that are on the roster. But Dylan's just been really good this year, and I know he's just mind boggling, you know. But he makes the team better, and at some point, there's just a theme, you know. I mean, he's led the team in on off differential for the past three seasons, and he's kind of morphed into this guy that you can put on any star. I think he's one of the only guys. I think he's like one of the best defenders guarding Steph Curry in the league because of his physicality. And I I think, especially if he gets an all defensive teams, I think he could build a case. I think the thing that hurts him is fouls, but he literally said in media day, I have five of them. I'm going to use them. He's not like, (laughs) like that's just by design. So yeah. I just think that it's Dylan's like gonna. Yeah, I think Dylan's gonna get a really nice pay raise this summer. I talked about it on the last pod with Sean about the ballpark that I think he's gonna get. But what do you think? I'm thinking low end, four and seventy two. High end. This is gonna bring back a lot of PTSD, but high end four and ninety four. Say you're going to talk a Chandler Parsons number. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah. Well, I with the cap spike, I'm saying that with the cap spike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. I think, I think, uh, I think that you're definitely in the ballpark. Like, I think 72 is is 72, 74, whatever you said was like, yeah, he's he's going to get more than that. But but it, as far as a floor, maybe you know, I could see, I could see that. I think like 480, something like that. And I, I, one of the things I had written recently was kind of like looking at the long-term book and, you know, if one of the things people should be thinking about right now or looking at is if the Grizzlies do try to bring in a, a, a player who will have long-term big money salary, then one of these two things is going to happen. Either, probably, either they're going to pay the luxury tax or they're not going to retain Dylan Brooks. Like, because Dylan will get paid. I agree with you 100%. He's going to get a big number. And if you're adding another big number on top of that, 
you're going to pay the tax for, but because of the spike, you're only paying it for one year, probably. So, right. you know, I, I am not, I'm not going to call out ownership about, you know, cheaping out two years ahead of when that is a problem. But, you know, one of the things I think they should be looking at at the trade deadline is a player who could, to your point, step in at, in the three next year if things become untenable. I mean, like 494, there's enough cash out there where I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's off the table for him. And I don't know if I want to be paying that for him next year. I don't, yeah. I don't want to trade him. I don't want to trade him. But I also don't want to pay that next year. And having another arrow in the quiver, you know, uh, a good third wing on this team who could possibly be the second wing would be would be a good like, hey, we're going for it this year, but also we're kind of like hedging our bets with Dylan, you know, down the road. Right. So, are you like what? What's your trade target idea? Is it like? The pipe dream of OG and Anobi, are you kind of scaling no, down? To like... I just don't. I don't think. Well, the thing about it is, if you trade for OG, who's who's the sixth man? I mean, exactly. Dylan, but but what he's he's going to be cool with that? He might yeah. be cool with it if you pay him ninety four million dollars. If you say wink, wink, yeah, you, you're getting a bag. You know, he might actually be like, yeah, the sixth man. I'm cool with that. But I feel like that's a little too foundational, like of a change for the team. You know, like, would I like to upgrade Steven Adams? Yeah, I'd like to upgrade Steven Adams. But, like, you change the Grizzlies if you do that. And you don't want to change something that's working right now, you know? So my, my ideas are more in the um, – in, in more of, like, the rotation wing, you know? It's like um, Malik Beasley, Gary Trent, those kind of guys. So you're more trying to use like Danny Green, Xavier Tillman, and a pick to go get like a Beasley or a Gary Trent Jr. and not putting as much pressure on Zaire to be the third wing in a Western Conference Finals playoff series. Yeah, yeah, because it, it any anything like that, like both of those players are good size for the two, but but a little small for the three. But it kind of inoculates you against a Zaire injury, a Bane recurrence of an injury, Dylan foul trouble. If Dylan, like, you could let Dylan play as hard as he possibly wanted. You could tell him, you can turn it up all the way to 100. You know why? Because we have Malik Beasley now instead of, you know, Zaire, um, who, who I still am very high on. But if you're talking about, like, possible places where this team – is in trouble in the playoffs. It's Dylan's in foul trouble. Jaron possibly is in foul trouble. And you're having to dip into and play like Brandon Clark and Zaire at the same time. And, and you just, and Steven Adams, and you get a little station to station. Um, there's just a little bit of a lot lack of creation. I think I might like Gary Trent the most just because, but he he has like one fewer year than than Mike Beasley, so I'm kind of like I don't really I, I kind of view all these players as pretty similar. I, Alex Caruso is another guy, and I'm kind of like thinking of it as take your pick of a first round pick and or Jake Laravia, and you know let's call it in that kind of thing. 
I, I kind of am agnostic. Not that I want to trade Jake, just, you know, it might be good to reset the clock and, and pick a different, a different wing next year, as opposed to having him. I don't think the team will do that. I think they're high. I think they're higher on Jake. Than, yeah, than no, I am, but yeah. Yeah. No, they're, they're definitely high on them. And like, frankly, I've kind of developed the feeling of like trade your own 2024 pick in any trade. I think they should make a pick in this one. Um, even if it's the mm-hmm. 29th pick, just go ahead and do it. I mean, you've already gotten Bane and Santi at 30. Just go ahead and do it. Just pick there. It's usually pretty good <laughs> for you. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. And it's one of those things like for one, I, I think like with Caruso, I, I described, I was texting Joe, Joe Malenax about this. And I had said like, Alex Caruso is just John Conchar with playoff or with championship experience. That's really what he is. He doesn't shoot. He's a one heck of a defender, but he just, and he does a lot of the stuff that you miss from Melton, but he's also, I think he has like the same usage as John Conchar. And I don't know if that's just him deferring to guys like Zach Levine yeah. and DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic, who let's be honest, those three guys need the basketball to be effective. Or if that's just how he is. Like, I didn't remember him being yeah. that shooting adverse in LA. Like I thought he was a pretty solid spot up guy, but granted, I don't, I don't oh, want I mean, to make if LeBron passes you the ball in the playoffs and you're open, you you kind of have to shoot. <laughs> it's just yeah, like, exactly. I totally get that. Um, I like Caruso on this team because I think of all those guys, he's going to be most okay with the role. And I just I and I think probably you could like let's say you traded you traded the Danny Green Xavier Tillman in a first for him um, hypothetically. I think you could get back something for him if you decided like in a year, like, Oh, we want to move on. You know, it, it didn't work out or, you know, like he's not going to be negative salary because his number is lower. So it, it just, it's like a one year upgrade, maybe even, and it gives you some Dylan insurance. I mean, he's smaller. Um, he's not that much smaller. Than, I mean, he's kind of the same size as Gary Trent, to be honest. Um, and yeah, he's, he's a lower volume shooter. I probably, I might like Gary Trent more. I don't know. Um, but, but he just, he just fits like role wise so well. And like, if you think about guys that like, I feel like a lot of fans would see him play and be like, oh yeah, he's Grizzly, you know? So it's more like role than like, he's the best guy for the, for the spot type thing. Yeah. I also need Zach Kleiman's, uh, Duke affinity to pull through in the clutch to go get Gary Trent Jr. I think that would. I think out of those three, out of those three, Trent, Beasley, Caruso, that's how I'd rank how I'd like them as far as like yeah. how I'd like them to be in Memphis. I think Trent, I think Trent is probably the best of those three, but he's the one you have the least control over. And yeah. I think he's the one that wants to get paid the most. So that's kind of like, that's my push pull is, is there. Um, I mean, I, I guess my take, I guess a take would be, I think that this team should make a trade. I, I just, I am constantly talking about the long term on my, on my Patreon and I'm talking about, you know, this team is going to be great a few years from now. Well, it's a few years. It's, it, it's happened. Like the team is going to be a top three seed again for the second straight year. And I don't want them to go and trade everything, but I want them to make some kind of move that especially like we were talking about just the, the Dylan piece of it in the off season, um, do something to 
mitigate the chance that Dylan walks. Um, so picking up Malik Beasley or Gary Trent, you know, the the siren song of OG Ananobi too is <laughs> calling. But uh, you know, it's just like like make a trade, trade trade future assets for a chance. Because I mean, I I don't think the Grizzlies have the best chance of coming out the West, but I also don't think they're a significant underdog in any single series. And if you can keep those three stars healthy through the playoffs, they're going to have a good chance to get to the NBA Finals. Like, that's just, that's just what this team is right now. I totally get that. And I, I've said on this pod for, I mean, like, I think like two straight pods, so I won't, like, go too far deep into it. I've kind of had the rationale of, like, okay, if Zaire Williams could actually like be your eighth guy in a playoff series, and like he was last year, if we're gonna be completely honest, I think he outplayed Melton and he outplayed Anderson. I think he, you know, he looked like a rookie. I mean, he looked like a rookie, but like yeah, he had that one game two, I think, against the Warriors where he had 14 points, hit like three, three or four threes, played really good defense on Steph. And now that he's like more like six eleven, like that's mm-hmm. intriguing. But like if he's playing like he's been playing lately. And he steps in as your bonafide A guy. I think any other trade at that point, you're like, okay, like that's a fine trade. But I, I would be cool without making a trade if it meant Zaire was your legit eighth guy. Um, I, 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 I think I, I, I could be definitely talked out of my take like in three weeks if Zaire has shown more. Like I'm kind of thinking, I'm very high on that kid. It's just, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure if he delivers this offseason or this postseason. I get um, that. It, nothing against that kid. Like he, like you said, like he is six eleven. He can shoot. He is a good defender already, um, and he's learning how to navigate screens. His rebound rate has, uh, as of a couple of days ago, had doubled um, from his rookie year. So I just don't I just don't know if you know, this team could be in the Western Conference Finals, and I don't know if I'm ready for Zaire to be there yet, or if he's ready. But yeah, he could be. I, You're right. He could be. I totally get that. Yeah. And, you know, they could they could just do this thing, too, where, like, we saw Taylor Jenkins ex- experiment in the playoffs. I, I saw from what he, what he would do is he would go 9 to 10 to start, and then he sees, all right, who has it this series? Who is not a good matchup for the series? And then phases them out. And I think maybe if you make a trade, you do like a, you go get a guy who is like an 8B to Zaire's 8A. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, I, I know like, and one thing I kind of have been thinking too, I wrote about this earlier, you know, with, with Danny Green and, you know, all the comments are basically saying like how he was brought in here and they have a purpose for him and they think he fits here. And I think there's value in Danny Green in the sense that mm-hmm. he's a grown up that has played in the NBA finals in high pit, high, high pressure situations. He has three championships on three different playoff teams. And I kind of compare it to this in the post. I said, can he basically be what Andre Iguodala is to the Warriors right now? He's not going to do a whole lot for you, but for just eight to 10 minutes in a playoff game, 
He's going to move the basketball, shoot open threes, and play decent team defense. And that's really all you need from him. And I think he could do that because you need a guy out there, you know, that can kind of weather the storm for you in a little bit. Granted, I wouldn't trust him on the floor without John Morant. But I think he's a guy that, you know, especially you have kind of shakiness towards the back end of the rotation when it comes to playoff minutes. You know, John Conchar didn't look great in playoff minutes last year. Santi Aldama and David Roddy haven't played in the playoffs before. So just having another guy who has been there before. And I I think if no trade materializes, I'm more confident in that. And like Danny Green being your ninth guy or your 10th guy, if it boils down to it. Yeah. And they're not going to buy him out. I mean, they'll keep him for sure. Mm -hmm. if, If no trade materializes, like, I guess maybe the way I'm thinking about it is like, I want them to make a trade. But they have these other kind of like shots at that 8B guy, whether because you, you have Zaire coming back and he's looking better lately. He's made improvements. You have Danny Green, who has not played in about, what, eight, nine months. Mm-hmm. He, he got hurt in, he got hurt pretty late. In the playoffs, so yeah. like seven, seven months. Yeah, yeah. So he, that's another possibility. And then you've got like, you know, um, you got the possibility of trade, you got Zaire and you've got Danny and you kind of have to have a rope, one of those things and you have Conchar and you have to kind of one of those people, one of those irons in the fire has to hit for this team to be a legitimate, like possible NBA final team. If none of them hit, then this team has probably gone out in like the second round. Be, I mean, just to be honest, depending on their matchup, because you need you need eight guys, and two of our eight allegedly, like I mean, fancy. Who would be the eight for you right now? Assuming it's the, the five, and then probably Tyus Clark and Zaire. That's what you're thinking. That's it, yeah, like that's the, my eight. That's gonna play out the most of the playoff minutes, like you said, he he will like play matchups and whatever. But those are your top eight, right? Yeah, those are my top eight for sure. So I think I think I I think I have Santi above Zaire, but that's problematic. And because like I think as of today, Santi's a better player and they should be trying to play him. If the playoff started today, I would want him to play in that like wing role, but they've never done it. So you're probably right. Like I think they, that if the playoff started today, and we needed somebody to guard a small forward, that's not year's task, you know? Um, and I, I, if the playoffs started today, I'd be a little uncomfortable with that. So, yeah. If that's a take, that's a take, I guess. <laughs> that's one of my takes. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it for sure. And, you know, I think it's one of those things where I see it as the West is wide open, windows can open and shut at any moment. Go, just go for it when you can. But also, too, I think this roster has the talent to go to just go for it with as is. Like, right, I mean, right. the team lost in six to the Warriors and they didn't have their best player for the last three games. And they never actually had their full starting lineup for any of that series. So, yeah, it's, you know, hindsight, revisionist history, whatever. But yeah. I, I think, who I are think, you scared of? Who, who are 
are you scared of in the playoffs? Like, who is the team that you think the Grizzlies would have the toughest time? Or if it's if 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 you think there's multiple teams that you're like, I don't want to see this team and I don't want to see this team, but everybody else, I I think we'd be a favorite in. Like, what what are you thinking? Um, I think they got the. I think they can get the Warriors, but I wonder mm-hmm. if the Warriors had the mental edge right now. Uh, Clippers, I don't trust them, but I don't like the idea of uh, playing Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in a playoff series because they only have one really legit perimeter stopper right now, and that's Dylan. Mm-hmm. And then the only way I'm scared, I'm not, I'm not even gonna say scared. The only way I'm worried about Denver, there's actually two things. For one, if they have home court, I don't like the idea of playing an altitude for yeah, yeah. For a seven-game yeah. playoff series and then possibly having a, a game seven in Denver, I hate that possibility. Mm-hmm. But I think also too with uh, Jenkins's um, willingness to play Adams and have a mere minutes for your Jokic's and your Embiid's and guys like that, it pulls away your best lineups. You know, because mm-hmm. at that point mm-hmm. you minimize Brandon. And you take away those Jaron Brandon lineups too that have always been really good for like closing lineup situations and stuff like that. Um, even though I think Jaron Jaron Jackson Jr. he's a defensive player of the year favorite. At some point, just put him on these guys and see what happens. You know, put him on Jokic, put him yeah. on Embiid, see what happens. Yeah. In the West, those are the only teams that I'm like. Yeah, like I, I wouldn't go all the way out there and call them the favorites. Like I could say, oh, I think they could win, but I wouldn't. Those would be series I would not give a favorite in general. The other ones, though, New Orleans, Dallas. I think Dallas, the matchup situation is overblown, in my opinion, because the Grizzlies mm-hmm. have always played Dallas in unfavorable circumstances, usually when it comes to like days or games and days situations. I think they're fine there. New Orleans, Sacramento. I don't think Sacramento has the playoff experience. And also, too, I think they're just too small to yeah to really do anything. What about you? Is there any other – is there teams that you're worried about in the West? So, um, I mean, with a caveat, obviously, that a couple of these teams are going to look different. The only two that I would not favor the Grizzlies against are Denver and Golden State. Am I forgetting anybody? Let me look at this. I'm just looking at my computer in case I forgot any awesome teams. <laughs> no, I'm not scared of Pelicans. I'm not scared of Sacramento. I'm not scared of Dallas Clippers. You know, Phoenix, if they got their stuff together and Devin Booker's healthy, I could. I, I don't want to play Phoenix in the first round of all those teams like around there. Honestly, like, I'd take it. I'd take it to be honest. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I think Chris Chris I, Paul's I cooked, and they don't have <laughs> they, Chris Paul is cooked. I would say it would be so great if the Grizzlies playoff series, a uh, Suns playoff exit, was a swan song to Chris Paul's prime. I think it'd be great, yeah, full circle would, for sure. But bad. I get it; they're gonna look different. Though. We they're gonna look different. They're gonna do something. They'll do something. And Golden State will do something with Wiseman, and Dallas is going to do something. Like those three teams will all do something. Hell, they may trade their problems between each other. Um, 
And I, everybody else I'm, I'm pretty fine with. The thing is that Denver, I would have the Grizzlies as a pretty, I wouldn't say significant underdog, but they are the team. Like, I think they could, I think they'll handle us. As, as of today, I think, I think that's the team I'm scared of. Yeah. I want somebody else to, I want to be on opposite sides. I want somebody else to do our dirty work and we get, you know, uh, a different team in the finals. <laughs> I will say the, the one thing with beat them. maybe the Pelicans we can beat them. You know, I don't know. The one, the one thing with Denver is two of their three best players are defensive liabilities. I'm not going to say Jokic because yep. then I'll have analytics people being like, "Well, look at this SS," but like <laughs> Michael Porter Jr. can't yeah. play defense, and I don't trust this yeah. this version of Jamal Murray to play defense. So I think that that's like. My only thing I have with it is just altitude. Like that's really it. Altitude and then line my my favorite lineups that I think are the best for Grizzlies winning basketball games. Yeah, you know, Denver Denver scares me because I think Jamal Murray will is has played this whole season as like getting ready for the playoffs. So I think I'm thinking he'll be different there. The thing that the thing that is their Achilles heel is they just don't have enough good players. Like they've got exactly enough good players. And if, you know, one of them goes down, like, you know, if Bones Highland goes down, that's a problem for them. And that shouldn't be a problem for the number one seed um, or yeah. number two seed. And it is for them. They just don't. And they can't add. They've got to actually cut salary, um, probably. Uh, so, you know, it, a lot of these teams are going to look different. But as of right now, Denver and then Golden State, because I, I just think, I think, again, they're playing the long game. Um, assuming Steph comes back and they go on some kind of run and get into the top whatever six, you know. I definitely, you know, if we saw Golden State in the first round, I would just throw up, <laughs> basically. I, that yeah, that would be probably one of the most intense first-round series matchups you'd see since, like, the Grizzlies-Clippers. Yeah. yeah. I'll say uh, just, like, one last take I have before we close the show here. I think Tyus Jones should be a finalist for sixth man of the year. Mm. Even at the count, I it's one of those things where I think there should be a balance of like, okay, he hasn't started a lot of games, but when he does, he plays to this level and they hold up well. And I think too, like he did start out slow. And I know, um, I know, I can't remember if you had a Patreon about it. I know Joe wrote about it too, but he just wasn't really himself to start the season. I think having to navigate a second unit with two non-lottery rookies in a, in the rotation kind of get, and then also too like no pure big man, like Brandon Clark is the size of a wing. Like they were, that's yeah, how they were operating right. to start the season. Like kind of like threw that at the window, but the fact, the fact that he, you know, a lot of guys, they they played the, a lot of their best basketball went in their contract year when it's time to get paid. And Titus Jones has managed to have a career year after getting paid. I mean, his aggressiveness, firing threes, he his pull up game has mm-hmm. gotten really smooth too. Like it's not rushed, it's not forced. He's really found a rhythm and kind of like a new jolt swagger that he plays with. You know, 
Um, yeah, I, yeah. he's averaging, I think like a career high in turnovers, averaging one a game, but still roughly averaging five assists a game. He's almost doubled his three point volume while maintaining a similar percentage. He's almost shooting 40% from three on like four attempts per game. Granted, I'm also really? saying this with the caveat this year's sixth man of the year race is pretty not great to put it nicely. Uh, they don't have that. They don't have this Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams, or even Tyler Hero last year. Like, I remember putting odds on it at the start of the season, and I'm like, out of all the guys on here, I like Bones Highland the most. I mean, Brogdon gets hurt too much. I think Jordan Poole is going to end up starting too many games. And also, he hasn't been as good off the bench this year. Is the media really going to vote for the betting favorite, Russell Westbrook? Are they going to vote for a rookie, Benedict Matherin? I I think... I'm not saying he should win it, but I think he should at least be in that final three because he's really kind of just keeps solidifying himself as the best backup point guard in basketball and just how he's able to like kind of step in and just keep everything humming when John Morant's not on the floor. Not in the way where there was this extreme last year where everyone was like, oh, the Grizzlies better without John Morant, but it's more of like, oh, the Grizzlies are still good without John Morant on the floor because Tyus Jones is also really good. So that's my yeah, yeah. take. I uh, did not know this, but Tyus Jones has a higher effective field goal percentage than both John Morant and Desmond Bain. I did not know that. He's been hooping just now. So yeah, that that's mine. I like and granted, uh, and I was like, you know, I was having this conversation with some friends, and you know, someone points out like. The thing that gets swept, like the thing that gets caught up with the Grizzlies bench in particular is they have a lot of good players off the bench. Like last year, Brandon Clark, Tyus Jones, Anthony Anthony Melton all got votes for sixth man of the year. So like, <laughs> are some of those people going to be like, oh, I'm going to vote for Tyus Jones. And then I'm also going to vote or, or I'm going to vote for Brandon Clark instead. Um, yeah, yeah. May you may have somebody who throws out the vote for Santi Aldama, but I I just think you know, especially with this year's six man of the year race, I just think he should at least be in that final three. I'm not gonna go out on a limb and be a homer and say he should win it, but I think he should at least be a finalist for the award. Okay. Who I I that is one award I don't even keep up with, so I I don't even know who the other contestants would be. It's whoever scores the most points off the bench, I feel like. just You can just do a search for non-starters, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one thing that's kind of the bummer. It's like you just basically got to search for who scores the most points off the bench. I will say, though, too, to Russ's credit, he has the most double-digit assist games of any player off the bench, and it's by a mile. But the thing is – Russ is not winning. That's not yeah, do you yeah. think that can happen? He's a betting favorite. He's a betting favorite on DraftKings right now. They're not pulling up the odds at the moment. And since SB Nation has a partnership with DraftKings, I'm not going to pull up anyone else. Um, but right now, yeah. the leader in points per in points per game with actual like with actual like sample size is Benedict Matherin. But that comes to a point of like, are they going to give it to a rookie? I mean, there's him. Yeah, they won't do that. Christian Woods in the starting lineup now, so it's not going to be him. Uh, Norman Powell, uh, I mean, Jordan Poole's only started 20 yeah. games. And then you get into, like, oh, Alec Burks. Yeah. It'll be cool. 
Yeah. Then you get into like Alec Burks, Malik Beasley, Malik Monk, Malcolm Brogdon, Bones Highland. Portis is averaging almost 14 and or 13 and 10. Like it could be him. I don't know. Yeah. I like the Malik Monk shout. He, because somebody will get credit for what happens in Sacramento, you know, because they're not going to have, they may have an all star, maybe, but, you know, they're not going to get the shine. And if they're like in the sixth seed, Somebody will get the credit, and and maybe maybe that's like Monk's six man of the year. That's a good shout. Yeah, I would I would probably do that. Yeah, I mean, if it were up to me, I'd probably go yeah. Russ, Monk, and Jones. But maybe Russ. <laughs> I just I I that dude has been talked about getting salary dumps for a year since he got to L.A. I just I if he wins six man of the year, that would just be the the narrative singularity like a dying star just about to explode like that i just can't even comprehend what would happen to the internet if, and rust defenders just giving rust defenders more ammo man Ooh. i'm here for it man i'm here for it but matt that's about all the time <laughs> I love it. That's, that's about all the time we have for the show is there anything else you want to add before we close here no just um really excited for the season man the the grizzlies are good um if people want to support patreon you can uh search my twitter handle it's the real herdlicka h-r-d-l-i-c-k-a um and then it's a pin tweet in there is is my patreon i think i have my profile for sure yeah y'all make sure you're talking to you yeah it was awesome talking to you make sure you y'all follow his patreon page i want to say it's like what like two dollars right Two dollars, and we get, and I give at least half the half the money to charity, which typically ends up being most of it. So. Yeah, and also too, like that's like, if we're being real, that's like the cost of a frosty. So like, instead of getting a frosty, just go, <laughs> just go subscribe to his Patreon page. Uh, a lot of good stuff on the Grizzlies. He does a lot of stuff like books and other stuff within pop culture. Uh, I think one of my favorite ones he did was like comparing like Grizzly players to TV shows. I thought it was really cool. But yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Matt, for coming on. You can follow him on Twitter at the real hard You can follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. And make sure you check out all of our work over at grizzlybearblues.com. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies and subscribe to the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. And with that, we'll see you next week.